Yate, Colton Schoen here. Now, I don't know if you've heard the news, but I'm going to be the Grand Marshal for the Navajo Nation Fair Parade on September 8th. The parade committee reached out to me a couple months ago, and they asked if I was interested, and I said definitely. Now that we're less than two weeks out, I'm very excited, but at the same time, I'm a little nervous. My wife is going to ride beside me. We got the traditional clothing made. We have the moccasins. Next up, we got to get the jewelry. Now, I'm very excited to head out there, so if you're going to be there that day, make sure you say hi. Anyway, well, last weekend was the Santa Fe Indian Markets, and that is always an awesome time. We ate some fry bread, saw a lot of amazing things. The artists there are really incredible. I met a lot of people too, which is always fun. My next guest was in town for the market, so I asked her if she could come on Native America. Her name is Dr. Shauna Bigay, and I became friends with her last year when I found out she was producing a Navajo children's show called Dene Benal Kid Time. It's a Navajo language puppet show geared at promoting the preservation of Dene Bizad. I appeared in the very first pilot episode as a news anchor on the Navajo reservation. And Dr. Begay has been pushing for this project for most of her life, and it's starting to get off the ground. Here is my conversation with her. All right, well, thank you so much for coming to my place. I know that, uh, you know, it's not a studio quite yet. Eventually, hopefully one day it will be. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I just came in from Santa Fe and joined Indian Market this weekend, so I'm having fun. So what do you go to Indian Market? What are you uh, looking for? What do you expect to see? Well, actually, I used to live in Santa Fe. I went to, I used to work at the Institute of American Indian Arts teaching film production classes there from uh, up until 2011 before I went to get my PhD. And yeah, so visiting old friends, family, my cousin lives there. So seeing some of my old students, which is really nice too. I think if I could live anywhere else besides Albuquerque, it would definitely be Santa Fe because there's just so much awesome culture and it's really 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 pretty it is i i was just there last night and i'm like why did i ever leave my job here i should have stayed uh -huh. <laughs> so i've been talking to people though maybe a job will open up and i'll move back we'll see really yeah. so you're definitely into coming back to the land of enchantment definitely uh keeping it open you never know what could happen uh i'm working on a puppet show so it's close to home and you know something i have access to navajo actors and uh so I just, it is definitely a possibility. Yeah, I know that, um, I think it was a few months ago, it might have even been last year, that uh, I found out that you were doing that puppet show, Dinep Benel mm -hmm. Kid Time, and I was like seriously super excited about it because it sounds like something that we definitely need with our culture and also to keep kids super engaged. Yeah, it's something that I I didn't realize I had been thinking about this my whole life until I started coming out with a puppet show and showing it on social media. And I met with some of my friends. Uh, my friends were commenting on it, and they're like, you've been talking about this since high school. And I'm like, wow, I guess I have been. <laughs> and my whole thing was uh, I um, definitely watched Sesame Street as a child, and I learned from it. And I always wondered if there was a... Navajo show when I was a child, would I have been more prone or more motivated to learn the language because I was surrounded by it growing up in Window Rock, Arizona. And so that kind of prompted the whole idea. And um, I just, I went to film school in uh, Chapman University out in California, and I was the only Native American there. And the whole reason for me going to film school was because I really just wanted to learn how to, learn how to do films, but also be able to teach it so I can teach other Natives to take you know, teach our own stories, tell our own stories. Oh, well, I taught after that. I taught at the Institute of American Indian Arts for four years. 
and I really enjoyed that and then I decided uh, to go get my PhD and so I graduated with my PhD last year and I really focused on indigenous educational media kind of like native PBS type stuff. Wow that's incredible to you know find someone who is so passionate about something and to kind of take that and run with it and get like a really advanced degree. What went behind the decision to say hey I want to get a PhD? It was kind of by accident, actually, and I wouldn't advise anybody to get a PhD unless you really, really wanted to. That's what I hear <laughs> from a lot of people. Yeah, it, 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 it's a long, there's a long story behind why I, I went there, but I ended up in Vegas. I couldn't find a job there, and so, um, but I wanted to be there, and I ended up just, I'm like, okay, well, let me look into the program, into the PhD program, and they had a, a GA ship and where I was able to be uh, working for UNLV and I got a stipend and they paid 85% of my tuition and I was able to get scholarships to cover the rest. So my PhD was pretty much paid for. Wow. Um, so it was, and I, I stayed there for six, it took me six years to finish the degree and halfway through it, I wanted to give up. But at the same time, I saw the need for this research that I was doing in indigenous media and there's nothing like it. Um, that I, the research that I did, and we need more Native researchers, especially in this area. There's a lot of uh, television shows, Indigenous shows, like in Canada and New Zealand, so I had to pull some of my resources from there because there's just nothing that exists here for Indigenous media um, as far as empirical research goes. So that's where I started. I, When I first got into my PhD program, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to dub over Sesame Street in Navajo, and that's going to be it, Like, uh-huh. and kids are going to learn Navajo. Well... It's not that simple. <laughs> I had to go back to the drawing board and basically decolonize Sesame Street, so to speak, because uh, Sesame Street teaches a lot of Western concepts, Western way of knowing, Western way of teaching and learning, and it prepares you for public schools in the United States. Well, with Navajo children, we have different learning objectives. We have different Navajo ways of knowing. We have different ways of looking at the world and interpreting it in different you know, learning objectives that we need to pay attention to. So that's where my research took me. And I did, um, I interviewed 10 people on the Navajo reservation who were educators, people in the community, people who um, speak Navajo. And I said, if we had a television show for the Navajo children, preschool age children, what would it look like? And that's where the research came from. Wow. I remember when I was a kid, I had one of those golden books, you know, the ones with the golden spines. And it was with uh, Big Bird on the cover. And I think it was called Big Bird Goes to the Navajo Reservation. Yeah, I I have it. I have it. I I found it on eBay one time and I bought it. And it's it's just really cool. And there's some uh, episodes where he actually is like in Canyon du Chez and stuff. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's amazing. And even uh, Buffy St. Marie was on the on the, on the uh, Sesame Street for like five or six seasons or something, which was really cool. Uh, who's that? She's a native singer. Uh, she's a famous, she's still around too. She's, um, but this was like in the 70s mm-hmm. when she was on the show. And she talked a little bit about native culture and where she, her background and stuff like that. So um, Sesame Street is actually a really great show as far as, you know, for multicultural different issues kids are facing, they, they're not afraid to, you know, go into that, that type of stuff. Because kids do absorb everything, and you have to be really careful what you present to them on media. Definitely. I remember when I was a kid, every morning, it, it seems like I would watch Sesame Street and, and then Barney and, right. and things like that, and then <laughs> Arthur. Um, I remember when I was younger, too, there was this puppet show that came on PBS that I really liked. 
you probably saw it, um, The Puzzle Place. Have you heard about that? I've never heard of that one. Okay. Oh, I haven't. I'm a little bit older, I think, so oh. <laughs> I'm like Sesame Street, <laughs> okay. Rock, that type of thing. <laughs> well, the cool thing about um, Puzzle Place is, I think you should check this out. So there was a puppet, and it was about all these different um, children, puppets who came from different areas. You had one person who had like a Jewish background. You had one person who was like Korean or and um, or Asian, excuse me. And there was another person who came from more urban setting. And then there was this one puppet called Sky. He was a Hopi child. Oh, nice. Yeah, and they all lived, I think, in some like really big setting, but they like put all these people together and sometimes they would have like these little stories about their backgrounds and stuff. And I remember watching Sky talk about, you know, fry bread mm-hmm. and explaining it to a whole bunch of people. And even as a kid, I, I, I'm not Hopi, right. you know, I'm Navajo, but like I saw that and I could totally relate. If there was a show like what you're doing, you know, out back when I was a kid, what do you think our people would be like today? Um, I think... Well, you know, media is is everywhere. It's on our phones. It's in our pocket every day. And that's why I chose this medium as um, a way to uh, connect with children. And just like that show, we talk about doing intercultural, um, you know, we have our Navajo puppets, but we also want to expand to other, make uh, puppets for other tribes too, because, you know, we want to express that not all we're not all the same and our languages are different as well even on the Navajo Nation on one side of the res they speak a certain type of Navajo and on the other they do so those are the things we have to you know look at and you know acknowledge so that we're not telling each other you're speaking Navajo wrong you're not speaking it wrong you're just speaking it differently right and so a lot of people get discouraged sometimes when they're trying to learn how to speak Navajo and then if you're constantly being told you're saying it wrong you don't want to, you know, you're shy, you don't want to keep doing it. So it's, it's an interesting topic. I I learned a lot through my research and definitely want to explore this. I think what I really want to do as well is not only create this for the Navajo Nation, but I want to expand it once, hopefully this is successful and we have uh, seasons of the show coming out in the future. Um, We're just starting with the pilot right now in pre-production, but in the future, I would like to take what I've learned with our Navajo community language um, and I want to take it to other tribes and help them with their model to help save their languages too. So that's one of the things I want to do in the future. Wow. What does it mean to be Native American in today's society? Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think um, from our teachings, you know, especially with in Navajo, we have the concepts of and and we carry that with us everywhere we go and so when we carry this with us we look at the world through this lens that's a little bit different than somebody who may not have not to necessarily have those same concepts but look at it in a different way so you look at everything around you and you have to be in balance with not only the people but the earth the elements the sky and it's hard to stay in balance with all of that and I think as a native person you you want that energy to be surrounding you. And I guess um, I think we've gone kind of gone away from it. And I think we need to come back to it. And the language is a way to do that. Because if we lose the language, if we didn't have the word hojon, for example, um, how would we describe that in one word? You'd have to describe it using a whole essay, you right. know? <laughs> right. So, I mean, uh, the it's it's all embedded in the language. Everything is. And so... Um, that's why I think it's important for us to keep it. 
You know, when you bring that up as, um, you know, uh, kind of another topic of discussion would be, yeah, so like, you know, my grandparents grew up in a completely different world than me. My mom did, you know, and then I grew up in a very urban setting. You know, my mom is fluent in Navajo. Mm-hmm. I would like to say that I'm, I'm conversational. Like I would talk to my to my mom and, you know, respond to her in Navajo. And my little sister would be like, I didn't realize you knew that much Navajo. And I'd be like, I know, right? <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> yeah. weird. Um, but how do we how do we get back to that um, to that setting of you know we're we're fluent and we know all of the teachings and stories? Can we get back to that? I think we can. And um, actually, uh, there's immersion schools in Hawaii that are reversing the language shift because they are just making sure that you're speaking it in the home, and that's where it has to start is in the home. And that's one of the reasons why I chose media because everybody, well, not everybody, but most people have television, you know, in their home and or have access to it through streaming the Internet or whatever. But um, it really has to start in the home through all the research I've gone through. You you can't learn a language by just taking a class one hour a week or every other week or even an hour a day. That's still not enough. You have to make it your primary form of communication and that's where you know as children you can pick it up and absorb it a little bit easier and so that's you know that's just a given like how we learn the language and I think that's where we need to start speaking it in the home and speaking it often and uh, I went to a conference one time a language conference with uh, um, talking they were Hawaiians on the panel who were talking about the language and how they've been revitalizing it and they said one thing that was interesting to me was they said that when people come into their community, they only speak Hawaiian. They only speak that. If somebody wants a translation, they don't translate for them because they're like, you're in our, you are in our community. Mm -hmm. You're going to speak our language. And if you think about it, when you go to other countries, they're speaking their language and you have to find an interpreter or somebody. So, I mean, we should make that like our standard on the Navajo nation. If you're going to speak it, if you're going to be visiting our, you know, community we should all be speaking it and I don't speak Navajo I want to I want to learn and that's another reason why I want to do this um, show I was never taught as a child and I wish I wish I was or I wish um, I would have paid more attention when I was younger and and done it so um, hopefully I'll learn (laughs) with this show yeah so tell me about your your upbringing then in Winter Rock I know when I go to Winter Rock um, I like to go to that's a burger (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) You know, get a oh, green man. chili cheeseburger. Yeah, and that's, that's a burger. A... I used to go there every day. Me and my friends would go there every day after school before we went to practice. So, yeah. I love that, that place. Big box of fries. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the big box of fries. Right. It was always better than Blake's, I'm going to say it. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I, I think there's another location, right? Have you ever uh, heard of that? No, I think maybe in like Shiprock or Chinle or something. I think Shiprock mm-hmm. there is, yeah. I just remember going <laughs> in and so seeing funny. the linoleum flooring right. and the fluorescent lighting <laughs> and ordering at the counter right. and waiting. With the little bucket of ketchup you know <laughs> yes yeah totally so i mean i went rock i go through there all the time when i go visit my um my grandma yeah. she lives in lukachika area so um that's kind of like what winter rock is like to me my mom said she like used to work in winter rock mm-hmm. before i was born and she i cut hair or something there but what was it like growing up there for you well i was raised by my maternal grandparents and um I mean, it's all I knew. So I I grew up there, went to school there, um, played basketball for the high school team. We were state champions back in the day. Wow. And so sports really kept me busy, kept me out of trouble. Um, 
you know, built my own personal character through my coaches that were there. So definitely um, I didn't know anything else, so I couldn't compare it to. And then I went to Arizona State University as well, and um, I had been there a few times for summer programs. But uh, it is a culture shock when you do go into this big city and you're in these classrooms with 400 other students and you know how how the heck are you going to learn something you know with so many people so and then you know I graduated I have a a daughter um, when I was going to ASU and she's 21 now so um, I'm just really excited for you know this project to go because my daughter's going to school and getting her degree and I I hope I can be a good role model for her. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that um, you weren't taught Navajo as, as a kid growing up by your being raised by your grandparents? Um, it just wasn't uh, a primary, f- well, my, my grandmother, she's Bilagana or Caucasian, so um, that may be part of it. And my grandfather, he, he speaks fluent Navajo now, but uh, he, he only, I've only, growing up, he was only speaking it in like uh, social engagements and stuff like that. So it just wasn't really in the home. Um, my paternal grandparents spoke it a lot, so that's where I picked up a lot of um, like I know, like if somebody's talking Navajo, I can pretty much know what they're talking about, mm-hmm. um, but I I'm, I wouldn't be able to converse with them or anything like that. But hopefully one day, I'll be able to do that. <laughs> how how was it like growing up to to be in that setting? Like you know, you're in Winter Rock, primarily Navajo people, and mm-hmm. um, you're not speaking Navajo. Are your peers speaking in Navajo? Uh, some of them would. Uh, some of them were would speak Navajo friends. Um, I really liked it, and there was, I think there, and when I was in high school, there was Navajo classes, and I was determined to go to college, and I didn't realize that I could have taken Navajo as your foreign language, right, right? (laughs) which is kind of ironic, but uh, Navajo, because I wanted to get into college, I was basically told I had to take a foreign language, and I didn't know Navajo was an option, so I took French, like, that does me a lot of good right now. (laughs) Je peux parler en français. Oh, Je see, Shana, no. isn't it funny? Right. Like, I think I can speak more French than I can Navajo. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. I mean, I liked it. And then when I get when I did go to ASU, um, they said for your foreign language credits, you could take Navajo. So, of course I did. And that was great. So I took two years of Navajo when I was at ASU. And now they've changed it to where it's not a foreign language credit. It's a world language credit or mm. whatever which is more politically correct, I guess, but because um, we're not foreign, obviously, right? <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, English is foreign, so well, I don't know how that works. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, uh, with with the Navajo Nation, I, I'm hoping that they'll get behind this project. I did get word from one of the council delegates who saw my project and wants to help uh, work with us and maybe getting some type of funding, hopefully. Hopefully the uh, the presidential candidates will get behind it too. Whoever's going to be their next president, because I uh, we do have the Navajo TV station in Window Rock, and I think this could be a really good show to promote the station and have people tune in not only to the show that we do, but have other Native Americans uh, and other Navajos do content for the show as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when um, I was reached out to by um, I think it was Charmaine, mm-hmm. one of the producers of the show, right, yeah. to kind of be involved in the the startup project part of it and that was amazing you know Mm -hmm. I shared that on my Facebook page and I have a lot of people who follow me from the Navajo Nation Mm -hmm. and a lot of them were like oh my gosh this is so cool when is this going to be out Um, I want to watch this right now I'm sure you get a lot of excitement from just anyone who wants to speak Navajo with this 
and they're probably wondering, well, what's the timeline? What's the timeline? What's going on? So right now we, we just held our first auditions this past weekend in Window Rock and we got about 10 people who came out. It was ceremonial weekend, so I think a lot of people were busy with that. Oh, yeah. But some really amazing talent, um, children who sing and dance and speak Navajo and are motivated, um, playing the violin, you know, different things like that. So even if we, if I could cast all of them, I definitely would try to, um, but we were really looking for a, a Navajo-speaking puppeteer for a female, the, our, non, our Nanaba character. And then we also have a boy character, which we haven't quite named yet, um, but he's his character is more urban, like he's learning how to speak Navajo. So we want to be able to, for kids to be able to relate to the characters in different ways. And then we have a, a rabbit, a prairie dog, a horned toad, and our puppeteer, Jason Barnes, he's actually making us a sheep right now too. So we're, we got money through our GoFundMe account and it's really amazing, the people who have donated, our largest donation was $1,000. Um, and that just a few days ago, people are just $100 here, $75 there. So that's really helping. We haven't met our goal yet, but it's definitely something that um, is helping us get everything out there. So building the puppets, being able to travel back to the reservation and do the um, the audition. So we want to hold an, another audition here in Albuquerque, maybe one in Phoenix, um, and maybe one during the fair, the Navajo Nation Fair. So if we can get a puppeteer um, to work with us, then I, you know, people want us to come out to their communities. They want us to do presentations. Um, and we just weren't prepared for all, like there's a need and a want for it. And we need a puppeteer to make those, uh, the um, puppets to come, come alive. So that's what we're looking at right now. I would really like to film this winter. Um, one of the reasons is in my research and you know this, like some of our creation stories and our storytelling has to happen in the winter time. And so I want to respect that timeline as well. Even if we film it, but we can't release it, those parts or those sections until the following winter, because you can only tell those stories during the winter. So um, I don't want to put it off another winter and not be able to do that, you know. So, um, but there, there'll be other aspects to the show where it's just going to teach language, you know, basic, basic uh, preschool type stuff. You know, your numbers, your letters, your clans, um, animals, places, different things like that. So looking at Hopefully by the end of this year, we'll have all the filming done and we can start putting it together, editing. Wow, that sounds really cool. Something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. When you start you know, pushing it out there, how do you think would be the best way to get it out? Would it be online or, I don't know, maybe reaching out to like the PBS local stations? Like, How, how do we get this to a mass audience? I would like to work with PBS and hopefully get it you know, either um, you know, locally here in Albuquerque and Phoenix, because there's a large uh, a population of Navajo people. Um, FNX has been supportive as well. They've uh, aired our the the little uh, snippet that we did, so they aired it on their station too. And when they aired it, uh, we got in a lot of donations from that as well. So um, I think I'm looking at those three uh, affiliates to help us get the word out. Um, and then once we do that, it's we want to leverage this pilot show to get more funding, hopefully by showing that there's a need for this, people want this content, we need to get some more grant, you know, money or some type of funding to, to have a whole season, which would be about, you know, 20 shows. Wow. That's the end goal, yeah. That's uh, that's a lot, yeah. right? That's, <laughs> I mean, it's taking you how long to get this far, so. Uh, my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> it's my it's my life's work uh, 
just this past uh, seven years, it's it's really taken off because I really had to have that research behind it. So the show is not only going to be just not just another show that's made. There's actually research that's going to support the content that's going to be on it. And hopefully I can do more research on the show to make it even better. You know, our kids going to be learning from the show, our kids picking up the language from the show. If they're not, what can we change to make it better? And I really like the concept that um, Sesame Street does. It's called edutainment. It's educational and it's entertaining. Another thing that I found in my research is that when children watch television with their parents, it's called co-viewing. That helps reinforce the language and the, the learning concepts that are in the show as well. And so I would want the show not only to cater to what the children are going to be learning, but how can we also cater to the parents and have it entertaining for them as well? Right. I remember when I was a kid, my mom said that I used to watch, you know, Barney all the time. And she said that she hated it because it was on nonstop. <laughs> you my know? daughter watched that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I remember I went to uh, to school once with, uh, I think it was Halloween that I wore a Barney costume and I was mobbed because people thought that I was actually oh, really? the character. Um, but I don't see this sort of like, um, you know, this sort of not, you know, discontentment with it from the older adults, but from a lot of posts that I read, it's like, I want to watch this with my kids so I can mm-hmm. learn too. Right. So this co-viewing would help both the, the parents and, 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 the, and the kid. Right. Um, and there's a lot of adults who want to learn the language too. And this would be a great way to start, like get, get in the door. Um, in my research, one of the biggest findings that I found was that with media, you're not supposed to have talking animals because that's taboo in our culture. And you watch any kind of cartoons or even Sesame Street and you have talking frogs, talking bears, talking everything. And that's really not necessarily um, culturally appropriate to us. And so that would be something that wouldn't necessarily be a part of our show where animals talk. It's going to be human-like people that are talking. The only time the animals are allowed to talk or can talk is when we have the creation stories, when we tell some of the creation stories. Because as, you know they were the ones who taught us the language, you know, from the first, second, third world, you know, to where we are today. So um, that's one of the biggest things that I found that, you know, it's taboo to have animals talking, but we're so used to it. And that's not culturally appropriate to Navajos. Right. You know, when we talk about talking animals, I remember watching Finding Dory, you know, how they redubbed everything in Navajo. And I was totally engaged. Mm -hmm. You know, I could understand a lot of it, not everything that they were saying, Mm -hmm. but just like, even if you didn't have subtitles or anything like that, but just like seeing the engagement happening, I think kids would pick on to that pretty quickly, right? Right, right. And, you know, and it's a part of it with, with this too is it's repetitive. You know, you've got to repeat things uh, often. You know, you don't just pick one subject and then, you know, leave it. Repetition for kids is really important. So if they watch this over and over and over, it's going to be great for them. Like my daughter watched, she used to watch Barney as well. And I think we watched, there's a, Winnie the Pooh that we used to watch over and over. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I'm like, do you remember watching this? I could like name, you know, not even be watching and already know what the line is going to be coming up. And so did my daughter. But um, if this show can be something like that, where kids just want to watch it over and over, that they're going to learn a lot of the language and be more motivated to ask questions. Because even when we were filming the short minute and a half that you were involved in, um, the little girl, Taya, who was in our, in our, in our shoot, um, her mom was telling me after that, she said, 
since she's been in, you know, been involved with this, because she, she doesn't speak Navajo, but her mom does. She said, um, Taya has been asking me, how do you say this in Navajo? How do you say that in Navajo? Just by being involved with the project. And this is, this is what I want the show to do is motivate kids outside of the show to start asking questions um, and start, you know, wanting to know more about the language because they're seeing it here, but they're going to take it with them and start learning outside of media. When um, I was going to ask about um, the Navajo language itself, I once read somewhere that the Navajo language is one of the hardest languages to learn, like almost on par with Icelandic. Why is that? I mean, it, you look at it, you see if it's written in its written form, and some people will look at it like, oh my gosh, how do you pronounce that? Well, I'll be like, well, that means right here you make that sound, you know? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard that too. Um, like Russian, I guess, is another one of the really hard languages. Um, I don't know why that, that is. I'm not, I didn't really study uh, linguists when I was in school. I, I want to. I want to, you know, read about it because it's really fascinating. One of the, I went up to Alaska one time, and um, the Athabascan language is really similar to Navajo language, and you just got to wonder, like, well, and then Russia's up there, too. Like, all the language had to trickle down to Arizona mm-hmm. and New Mexico somehow. So it's just really interesting how that all comes together and um, – you know, there's so many ad, you know, like adverbs and pronouns in our language, and that was another thing that came up because um, one of my researchers mentioned something about how uh, the there's different pronouns, and when people are talking to, to people or your loved ones, or you use certain pronouns, but when animals, she saw a cartoon where um, they did like I think uh, Billy Goat's Gruff, and the, they were talking Navajo, so they just translated that story into Navajo. And she just said it was weird seeing animals using human pronouns for another animal. Like, you're not supposed to do that. Mm. So it was weird. So, like, different things like that you really have to pay attention to when you want to be culturally appropriate. Right. Wow, that is super weird. I didn't <laughs> think about that. You know, all the, the, the things that we're taught is you have to definitely respect that. Otherwise, you'll have people who are upset. Or, like, yeah, like our deities. You know, you're not, you're not speaking the way that they taught us how to speak and how to uh, go about things and... And that all goes with the balance that you have with everything around you. You have to have balance with those animals as well. You know, if you approach them in a wrong way, you know, in any kind of disrespect in any way, it's going to come back to you in some way or shape or form in a sickness or, you know, bad luck or whatever. So we definitely have to respect all of that. You know, when I talk to other Navajo people or people who are, you know, indigenous and come from a culture that has a different language, um, and, you know, they, we talk about, like, well, can you speak Navajo or can you speak your language? And sometimes, most of the time, they'll say, well, I can understand a lot of it, but when I speak it, I don't want to speak it because, you know, like, my family would make fun of me. So that kind of discourages people, right? I mean, I've, I've heard that so many times. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I addressed in my research. Um, one of the questions was, and like I said, there's different dialects, and some people, you know, are quick to tell you how bad you're doing instead of encouraging you or helping you say it right rather than you're saying it wrong you're supposed to say it like this and then and then you you just get discouraged you know and I I can see it and how a little kid feels when that happens to them it just so I want to address that in the show so that we can make it more acceptable Um, mistakes are okay they can be funny sometimes when you mispronounce something but that's all part of learning and we need to make that socially acceptable especially for everybody who's going to be learning. Mm-hmm. You know, on a personal note, you said you have a daughter. 
Um, how is she with um, the Navajo culture? Is she you know, taking it in stride and trying to learn what you're trying to teach? Or how, how does that work out? She's excited for the project. She's um, she's uh, probably a little bit more traditional than I am because her father's side of the family is a little bit more traditional. So I like that um, she grew up on the reservation too. Um, when I went to college, she stayed on the reservation uh, when I went to film school. And so she's uh, been around it more. She doesn't speak Navajo, but I, I think she wants to, you know, also learn as well. Mm-hmm. I have aunts who, you know, always say to me like you know and like try to speak it or say say it in navajo and then i'll, I'll have family members who are like you know because you guys aren't speaking navajo this means the world is going to end um, I've heard that too. you know like that's kind of a lot of pressure right. on us <laughs> right, right. <laughs> definitely i mean uh there's a lot of teachings like i said if we lose the knowledge that we have through the language we lose knowledge about the cosmos about medicine about our health issues um, different ways of healing, the prayers, which are very powerful that, you know, I, I had a prayer done before I had my daughter and that was just so the, the pregnancy and everything would go well. And it's like, what if we didn't have that? You know, what if we didn't have these prayers? And some of them you have to say in Navajo, you can't say it in English or you can't have somebody say it for you. Um, because the power is in that language. It's in the words, it's in the tone, it's in, it's in how you present it, you know, because, you know, words come out of your mouth and it makes this vibration throughout the whole universe. So it's very powerful. And we, if we lose it, we're going to lose all that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Have you have you seen the Rosetta Stone Navajo edition? I have it, actually. And it, I haven't used it and I need to. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so cool. Like, you'll be saying all these things. And I have it on my computer where, like, when I repeat what it says, you know, it'll give me, like, the X, like, eh. Oh, yeah. You said it wrong. <laughs> Say it again. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I said that right. <laughs> exactly. But um, it was it was really cool that we have these sort of tools out now, you know, mm-hmm. that can teach us things. Um, you know, obviously, it's not all there. Like, the whole entire language is in, in those two little volumes that they have. But it's a step forward in the right direction. Definitely. I mean, I've always, saying, I've always said that uh, learning the indigenous languages is a social justice issue because it was – the language was – pretty much like beat out of us you know we were told that our language is shouldn't be spoken um this historical trauma that's been happening and you know for us to fight back and bring the language back is our pushback against western society and culture um and bringing our culture back you know that's and i think through the language is how we're going to do it yeah one of the more ignorant questions that i probably ever you know have received was well how do you say hello in Indian? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you mean from India or what? What are you talking about? So, like, there's there's got to be this huge education for other people, too, right? That, you know, every tribe has their own way of speaking. Yeah, and that was my big thing. Um, one of the reasons why I got into media in the first place is because when I was a child and you would see uh, – shows which depicted Native Americans, it was always with Native Americans with headdresses and teepees. And I'm like, I'm Native American, but that's not us. You know, we have hogans and we, we dress differently. We have the tzieth. And so I, that really bothered me. But you're, as Navajos were grouped, or any other Native Americans were grouped into that Plains Indian look. And I didn't like that. And so, and then I saw that uh, non-Native people were telling our stories for us and getting some of the facts wrong. And I'm like, why can't we tell our own stories? Why can't we be the ones who are directing, producing, editing our own stuff? And so um, 
I was at Arizona State when I first uh, realized I wanted to be in film. I tried, I wanted to be an actress, <laughs> but I found out I was really bad at it. So <laughs> I ended up going behind the scenes and I really enjoyed editing. So that's what I majored in, majored in when I went to Chapman University. When we look at indigenous languages, I don't know if you've like encountered this in your studies, but have, have there been tribes that have just like lost their language altogether that you've, you've read about or encountered or spoken with people with? All the time. Um, I think there was a statistic that, because there's so many languages in the world and there are a lot of indigenous peoples in all parts of the world. Um, I want to say, I, I may get this wrong, but uh, I want to say like a language dies like at least one every day. And w- there's a lot of tribes where there's only one or two native speakers left. Um, I lived in Las Vegas and the Paiute tribe only has like a handful of, the Moapa tribe only has a handful of native speakers in there. So they're trying to revitalize it. But if you have a smaller tribe too, how do you revitalize it? for that small number. You know, Navajo Nation is huge. We have over 200,000 people and half of us speak it, speak the language. You know, we need to get 100% people speaking the language. Um, So yeah, I mean, it varies. And you know, it's really sad when a language dies because there goes all that knowledge. Mm -hmm. When um, I hear people speak Navajo, like my mom or my family members, or just when I go out and I start hearing people, I can, you know, pick it up and stuff. It's got a different sound to it. You know, it, it sounds like n- nothing I've ever heard, you know, outside of the Navajo Nation or, you know, in communities that have a lot of Navajo people. It, it's it's kind of difficult to, to pick up, right? Or I don't know. What what do you think? About speaking the Navajo language? Yeah, just... um, I think for me, it's it's the the unique sounds, like the glottal sounds and the, the tones that have to come from the back of your throat, basically. Um, that's where I get kind of like, uh, you know, am I going to say it right? Is it going to come out? And one slight variation, you could be saying something good and one slight variation, you're saying a naughty word. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I think, you know, with, with our, with our people, you know, I, I like that there's different varieties, different dialects of the Navajo language, because that just shows like where you're from and doesn't mean that you can't understand each other. It just means you're saying it slightly different, which, you know, is fine. So you got your PhD from UNLV. So you're Dr. Shauna Begay. Mm-hmm. Is it cool to be a doctor? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's fun sometimes because uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm a doctor. I mean, I have to say, it, but not that kind of doctor. Like, I can teach you something, but I can't heal you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it, it it got some getting used to when I graduated and when people started calling me Dr. Begay, and I'm like you know, wow, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it's, and it's gotten to the point where it's weird when people don't call me Dr. Begay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's, it's, it's interesting. I definitely worked for that title. It was not easy. It was, it was hard at times. It was crying at times. It was a lot of, you know, breaking down. Like, am I, what am I doing? I'm a fake. I'm like, I don't even belong in academia, whatever, <laughs> you know, and you really beat yourself up, especially during that, final dissertation writing um, where you have to put everything together and have it make sense to a certain audience and um, especially to my faculty who was um, advising me like they didn't understand a lot of the concepts that I was talking about when it came to the Navajo way of knowing and I had to explain it basically to the western world of how we believe in things and how you know we're not our teachings are not religious per se but it's our teachings are 
they're considered religious, but they're not. That's a way of life. It's our philosophy. And having to try to explain that in the paper and have it make sense, you know, I really struggled with that, that whole process. But I somehow did it. And I look back and I'm like, I don't know how I did it. <laughs> with that, because that's, that's super interesting, you know, because you're right. Like, we, we have this way of different perspective, for sure, mm-hmm. the way we do things. Did you get, like, pushback or maybe just... I don't know, ignorance when you try to explain it from the Navajo perspective? Uh, I did at times. Um, I also think at times when I did explain it because I didn't have necessarily a mentor in indigenous studies when I was at UNLV. I kind of had to teach myself. Plus, I'm way uh, far away from the reservation, so I don't necessarily have access to anybody, you know, at the time when I'm at that critical stage of writing. And I, it was it's it was really hard because... Um, the way like they have a structure of how you're supposed to write a paper, a dissertation, has to follow these these different steps. Well, I took the structure and I re reordered it, and I had to explain why I reordered it because that's not how Navajos think and do things. And so that that was interesting. And um, once I explained it, it was enough to where I was. It was enough for me, at, at least for my um, my chair, my co-chairs, to accept it and say. Yeah, you know we're gonna we're gonna turn research on its head because not all research has to be done the same way when you're looking at it from an indigenous perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, when you come into a native community and you like start talking about the uh, the research that you've done, I'm sure there's instant credibility with you because you're a Navajo and you have that title. Do you think this helps you? Uh, definitely, um, especially with the show that I'm producing. Like I said, it gives it that much more credibility. I want to do continue to do more research in this area, and I hope that other people can, you know, maybe not replicate my research, but build off of it, and so we have more knowledge to, to come from and make things better as far as um, indigenous languages and using it, leveraging technology to increase the number of speakers. All right, I need to clear a couple of things up. I remembered incorrectly the background of the puppet Sky from the puzzle place. Turns out he was Apache, not Hopi, and the other puppet was Chinese. I mean, it's been two decades since I last saw that show, so please forgive me. Dr. Begay is also still in the process of raising money for her project. They do have a GoFundMe page set up. Just search for Help Save Our Navajo Language. You'll find it on the GoFundMe website. They're about $15,000 away from meeting their goal. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Until next time, a kihet.